your Bibles this morning, um, if you can grab them, God inspired people to write, and uh, these words that were written thousands of years ago somehow still have meaning, life, relevancy today that, that can change change lives, change situations, and we see it all the time. So I just wanted to encourage you to have your heart open to that this morning. I believe he can speak to every, every single person uh, here. If you're visiting with us or you're new or haven't been here in a while, we've been in a series. Uh, we're somewhere past the middle now. I think we're on session eight on a series of relationships, and we thought, man, that's like a long series. But there's a lot in the Bible about relationships, and there's a lot of stuff we go through in our relationships that are, that are a little bit difficult. So I would try and catch you up to speed, but um, this is going to take forever. And so you can find those online if you'd like to check out some of the stuff that we've talked about. And go to our website, www.kingswaychurch.ca. There's some links to some other great relational material as well with Andy Stanley and uh, Leon Fontaine and uh, Focus on the Family. So you can find all of that on our website. So that's uh, enough of that. We're going to talk about something uh, uh, unique this morning. I thought maybe we would have talked about this like right at the beginning. We're going to talk about love today. Love. We sing songs about it. We actually sang some this morning. You know, you sang about your love never fails. Um, and we sing, you know, as a culture, we sing songs about love. If, you, if you're familiar with the Beatles, all you need is? That's right. They thought that's all you need. Nothing else, you know. According to Barney, if you're from the other end of the spectrum, everybody loves everybody, right? Like, he is so, he has no idea. But uh, we, we, we sing songs, Taylor Swift and Adele, if you listen to them too much, you think that love sucks and all guys are jerks, but uh, there's, there's still songs on both sides of love. If you watch The Wedding Singer, love stinks. So it just depends on, you know, the, the um, perspective of it. But love is this, it's this thing uh, that we all experience. We watch movies about love, and actually, you maybe don't know this, you watch the same movie every time, it just has different actors. You know, this guy with a secret meets this girl who doesn't know, and he, she's engaged to somebody else, and then somehow they find out, you know, the two are meant for each other, they break it off, they end up together, happily ever after, right? It's like that's kind of the, the, the whole celebration of love, and what they forget to show you is the next part, where they get married, and then they have to go to their counselors, because she discovers the secret, and it was worse than she thought, and she can't handle it. She's not happy anymore. She wants out. She's not in love anymore. We, we never see that part in the movies, but we have this thought because we don't want that part. We just want the, ah, the, the love, the falling in love. I mean, we talk about that. You fall in love. It's like, you know, a warm comforter on a cold day sitting by the fire like, oh, with reckless abandon, we'll fall into love. And, and then we fall out of it too. And that's more like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. And you're just like, ah, you know, you hear these words, falling in, falling out of this thing called love. We, we're in love with the idea of love sometimes. You know, if people are planning weddings, it's like this whole idea of what that day is going to be like and the amount of money that we spend on, this, on these moments and these thoughts and these feelings. It's crazy. You know, we talk differently when we start talking about love. You know, listen to kids sometimes. My kids, it's hilarious. They talk normal, and then all of a sudden, they get to this thing where they're like, and you love her. And like, and then they're back to normal voices again. They're like, what? what is something about it brings something different out in our lives. Uh, we, all of us have this inner need to be loved, to feel loved, to show love. And for, for so many, we experience them searching for love. And, you know, we see that, that's, you know, that idea of searching for love, but searching in all the wrong places. You know, sometimes people think marriage, that's going to do it for you. You know, it's that emptiness inside. But if I was married, I'd, I'd feel loved, and that's where we get some of these ideas of, you know, my better half, or you complete me, as if there's something missing, and we're going to find it. For some, they think, you know, it's in sex. 
You know, it's that, that idea of, you know, if we, if we have sex, you know, then, then that's love. And we, you know, it used to be, I don't know if it's still called, making love. You know, this idea of, well, that's love and sex. They kind of go together. And it's in our, in our younger generations especially, it's such, a, it's such a difficult thing. Like, well, I guess we love each other, so, yeah, we can. And, and uh, you know, we found that it's not really the case that sex and love doesn't equal the same thing. If it was true, then prostitutes would feel like the most loved people on the planet. And, and they don't. We have different levels of love. You know, we have these things where it's like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. You know, and I care deeply about you, but I'm not romantically interested in you. And so we level our, our, our different levels of love. And we have different definitions of what the word means. We use the word love, and we're not really sure what it means, because it means something to us, but it means something to someone else. You know, have you ever been told by someone that they love you, and then they did something, you're like, they couldn't mean it? How could they mean they love me? It's like that t-shirt that like, says, you know, I use big words because it makes me feel perpendicular. And like, that word doesn't mean that, right? And this idea of, like, I love you, but they don't, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. And we've kind of bankrupted the word because of that. We use it for everything. You know, I love my wife, and I love my children, and I love the maple leaves, and I love chicken wings, and, you know, I love this church, and, and I love my car, Eleanor, and, and I love, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, it's like, oh, well, okay, that's great. You know, you love your wife and your rusty car with the same word. That's just, you know, whatever. And so we have this word, this big, confusing concept that affects every single one of us, and yet it, it's just so difficult sometimes to figure out what it's really all about. It's a massive topic. Even as I was preparing for this, I thought, man, I can't even touch, like, the tip of the iceberg of this idea of love. It's just huge. And the Bible is so full of different, um, different thoughts um, about love as well. And so I thought, what do, what do we share on this? So my thought this morning, I just want to give you three thoughts on it. And if any of those thoughts kind of grab you here, I want to encourage you to, to go and search that one out a little bit deeper. If it's one of those things you're like, oh yeah, it was point two. That's the one that's just like for me to go and dig a little bit deeper because he wants to do something in your life in that area. So this morning, if, uh, if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 15. It's in, the, it's in the New Testament. It's the fourth book in there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Maybe you can just scroll on your little phone or wherever. Uh, we're going to get there. We get a glimpse into what Jesus thinks about love. And so just to set the scene for you, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and it's the last night before he gets crucified. And they're sitting around, they're having dinner, you've seen the painting, and then Judas, the one who's going to betray Jesus, he leaves. And it says right after Judas left, Jesus is left with his 11 guys, the ones who he, he uh, trusts. And uh, he says, you know, he says to them, guys, I've only got a little bit of time left, so lean in. I want you to listen close. I got something really important to tell you. And so they're like, okay, okay. They have no idea that he's going to get crucified the next day. Judas doesn't even know. The only one who knows is Jesus. And he says, listen, I, I, I want to tell you guys something. And they're sitting around there. He's like, okay. He's like, I got a new command for you. I want you guys to love one another the way that I've loved you. And, and, and the whole world is going to know that you're my disciples, that you're my followers because of how you love one another. Not by the, you know, the, the, the bumper sticker on the back of your donkey, you know, not, not, uh, not by the t-shirts you guys are wearing under your robes. He says, listen, I, the way you love one another, and he says, I'm leaving, but this is how people are going to know. And, and so as he says this stuff, really important, all of a sudden Peter's like, okay, Jesus, that's great, but where are you going? You know, like, where are you going? And he's like, Peter, I'm trying to explain something really, really important. And you're like asking questions that have nothing to do with it. And so as you read through 
um, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's just one conversation. At the beginning, you see all kinds of questions. They're like, I just don't get it. I, I don't know. And he says to them, okay, let me tell you a few things. And he begins to talk to them about all kinds of things. He's like, Peter, since you're the one talking, let me talk to you first. Do you realize that tonight, you're going to deny that you even know me three times? He's like, no, I wouldn't. I, I would die for you, Jesus. He's like, yeah, about that. We're going to talk about that in a few days, but you're not. And he's like, okay, fine. Uh, I won't ask any more questions. And then he, he begins to tell him. he says, listen, he says, you know what, I, I want to show you what God looks like. And they're like, okay, well, just show us the Father. And Philip's asking questions like, you know, what does God look like? He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I'm God in a body. And they're looking at him like, okay, but, and Philip's like, going to ask another question. He's like, okay, okay, well, well, all right. And he says, and he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And they're like, well, we don't know that we know the way. And he's like, oh my goodness, you guys know the way. I'm the way. This is the last day of training. And it feels like they know nothing. And they're asking all these questions back and forth. So he begins telling them, telling them some more things. He's, he's like, listen, I'm going to send you Holy Spirit to live in you. And just so you know, he's me too, but he's going to live in you. And they're like scratching their heads. They want to ask a question, but they don't. They're like, okay, this is not time for questions, obviously. Then he says, listen, I'm going to explain a few things maybe in words you guys understand. And he tells that famous story of the vine and the branches. He says, I'm the vine. Stay connected to me. It's the only way that you're going to have um, life. It's the only way that you're going to bear fruit. And he starts teaching. And he starts talking to them about a whole bunch of different things. And all of a sudden, they stop asking questions. They're just leaning in and listening. That is really important. And then as he begins to tell them stuff, all of a sudden, one of them's like, send to the others. You know what? Like, he's not talking in parables anymore. Like, what he's telling us, this is like... This actually makes sense for once. And one of them says, Jesus, you're finally being clear about what you're talking about. I can't wait till tomorrow. Wait till you finally tell the crowds exactly what everything's all about. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. And he's like, yeah, about tomorrow. That's not going to happen. And uh, I'm talking to you guys because I want you to understand this. And so he says to his closest followers then and to his followers now, he's like, okay, let me bring it back to where I started. He says in John chapter 15, verse 9, and John, he feels like, okay, so this is important. He begins to write this down. And John probably had no idea when he was writing this down that how important this would be. And we see later on that, that um, these words that, that John wrote mattered 40 years later, mattered 60 years later, and mattered 2,000 years later. And he said this. Jesus said to them in verse 9, I have loved you, fellas. I added that. I have loved you. Even as my Father has loved me, the same way that God loves me, I love you guys. And they're like, oh, that, that's great. Hey, like, I, I feel loved. And he's like, then he says to them, remain in my love. And it's one short sentence. There is two incredibly powerful things. First thought for you this morning is this. He said to them, his closest disciples and followers, he says, I love you. Guys, if you're going to remember anything that I say tonight to you guys, he's like, I love you. And if I would say the same thing to you this morning, if there's only one thing that I would hope that you're able to grab onto, is this idea that God loves you. That he would say the same thing, I love you. And we're like, oh, I sang that in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible. He's like, stop singing, right? But we know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But do we know it? Do we really know that? Do we live like we know that? We're like, well, I don't know. What does love really mean? Like, is he in love with me? Or does he love me? Does he care about me? Or it's like, you know, he loves me like the rusty car. Like, which one, which one is it? And it's, it's interesting because he used a word called agapo, a word they didn't use back then. He says, listen, this word, it's different than all the other kind of love that you guys know. He says, I love you dearly. 
I'm incredibly fond of you. As they're sitting there, you feel like, oh, man, their hearts are probably like, got a lot of questions, but boy, I feel good. Jesus loves me. Huh, he's like, he not just loves me like, hey, we're buds. He's like incredibly fond of us. And many people today, they're not convinced of that thought. They're not even sure. You know, they sit in church every weekend. And you're like, I don't know, you know, like, if he really knew what I was like, if he knew what I did last night, but he does know what I did last night. There's no way he can love me, right? It's his thought. How do I know that he can love me? And so many try and earn his love through their behavior because that's what we've learned growing up. You know, as we, as we grow up, and I would encourage, you know, every parent, especially, you know, Josh Nash, here's parenting step number one. Don't ever let Chase feel that, that your love for him depends on his behavior. See, we have that. If you're ever in a family with lots of kids, I was the oldest, so it was good. Like, all my, all my brothers and sisters, my parents like, why can't you be more like Mark? <laughs> They're all destroyed because of it, right? Uh, but that idea of, you know, like when you were good, you know, when you were good at, the, at sports and your parents were so proud of you, you felt more loved. You know, when you were sitting on the bench, you're like, why can't you get in the game? You don't practice enough. And then they yell at the coach and, and, and whatever it is. It's this idea of their behavior, their, their, their accomplishments seems to matter a little bit about their feelings of being loved. And, and then if they're bad, it's like, oh, man, you're embarrassing our family with the choices you've made. Can't believe it. You know, why? why? And, and, and the sense, the feeling of being loved is tied to this idea of whether they're good or whether they're bad. And it's toxic kind of love. It's this love of that, that we learned growing up as kids, and sometimes we take it into our, our married relationships and other relationships, and we, we um, level our love based on behavior. And he says, listen, guys, that's not the kind of love that I'm talking about. You can't earn this kind of love. I just love you. You don't deserve it, but I love you. And sometimes we think that God's angry at the world. That's kind of our thought. You know, yeah, he's angry at sin, and, you know, that's what we've heard. And, and, and uh, we thought this idea, well, how, how can he love us? But the whole Bible is actually the story of love. Not just things about love. It's a full story of where God lost something, someone, so important to him that he's like, I'm making a plan to get them back. Whatever it takes, it's going to cost me my life, but it's worth it because I love them. You think, man, I don't know. How, how, how do we know that God could love us? But you know what? Think about yourself for, for a second. You know, is there something that you create? If, if you're an artist, you know, or a cook or whatever, you create something, you're like, Wow, I'm pretty proud of that. You know, no, let me tell you, a couple, a couple days ago, uh, no, a couple weeks ago, actually, I, was, uh, I hang out with my kids on Tuesdays, so, and that's my day that I just spend fully with my, with my kids, and we do all kinds of stuff. So if you call me on Tuesday and I don't answer, that's why. It's not that I'm screening your call. Uh, you can call me on Wednesday. But that, that day, so the one day we decided to do art class at home, and I saw this thing on, online on Pinterest or whatever. It's this paper treehouse uh, sitting in a paper tree and stands about this tall and folds it all up. And I was like, that is so cool. I think we should make those. And so I was helping the kids make these treehouses little houses, and I'm folding mine, and, and I'm, I, I'm like, man, I added a porch to it, and like a ladder, and put it in the tree, and it was all like, it stood up on its own, and proudly displayed it along with all the kids' crafts afterwards, so when Beth came home, she could see it on the shelf, and I was like, that's just, hey, it, it turned out pretty cool. I was like, that is pretty neat. I'm pretty proud of that, but I didn't really realize what I actually thought about it until later, so we had our friends over from uh, um, Alberta. Their names are Chris and Angie Lance, and they, so if they're listening online, they can verify this. They came over, and they're sitting there, and so we're talking about, and we're talking about, hey, this is what we do on Tuesdays. We kind of do art class for school, and so I'm saying, hey, I made this cool kind of treehouse thing, and I'm like, hon, where is that thing? And she's like, uh, uh, I dusted. I'm like, you dusted? 
yeah, I kind of threw it out. And all of a sudden, it was like that, like, it was, it was going to be on. If we didn't have company, there would have been trouble, right? I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I actually felt like this, like this anger well up in me. Like, I created, I love that little treehouse, and you threw it out. And I'm looking in the garbage, and yes, there it is. Ketchup on it and all. I'm like, if we didn't have company, I'd be rescuing you, you know. Maybe stay there till tonight, and I'll find you. Like, Mark, you're just whacked, right? But I don't want to listen to anything else you had to say. But this idea of something I created so simple out of paper, and I have this kind of these emotional feelings of care and concern for this piece of paper. How much more God's care, concern for something alive for you? The person he created unique, puts all kinds of time and thought into how you would be created, and yet we're not sure if he loves us? Paul said in Romans um, 8, he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Do you have that? Do you ever feel like God loves you one day and it's like the flower? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. I did bad stuff. He loves me not. Paul said, listen, I'm convinced that nothing, nothing, nothing I've done, nothing I can do can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, not life, not angels, not even demons. They're not that strong. They can't separate me from his love. Not my fear for today, my worry for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from the love of God. He says, no power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing, just in case we didn't know, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can change the way that he feels about you. And Paul prayed for the Ephesian church a number of years later and said to them, listen, guys, I hope that you can just get an idea, a glimpse of how great his love is for you, that you'd see how wide it is, that it's bigger than whatever you think your biggest failure is. That he says that how long it is, that it goes all the way back to your whole past, that it's bigger than all of that. How high that, that mountain of guilt that you feel like before you, he says, my love is higher and how deep that it can dig down to that deepest, darkest secret in your heart and say, listen, you know it and I know it, but I love you. Do we believe that kind of stuff? Do we believe that he loves us? And for some, you're like, how can that be possible? Yes, I believe that God forgives me, but that he loves me, that he likes me even? How is that? 1 John 4, verse 8 gives us a real good glimpse into why he loves you. Why he loves you has nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are, whether you showered this morning or whether you didn't, whether your clothes match or they don't, whether you're thinking about hot dogs right now instead of what we're talking about. None of that matters Except this, anyone who does not love, now I know you're thinking about hot dogs. Let's come back. So, but anyone, anyone who does not love uh, does not know God for these last thing, three words for what God is love. Guess what? He doesn't have love. He is love. He can't do anything but love. He simply loves you, loves you, loves you. You know, we sing this song that there's um, God of the impossible. There's nothing impossible for him. Well, there is one. It's impossible for him not to love you. He just loves you all the time, no matter what. That doesn't mean we can't reject that. That doesn't mean we, can't be we may not believe that. That doesn't mean that we may not experience it. But it doesn't change that it exists. All it takes for us is to say, oh, I do believe that. And you know what? It's incredible when you start realizing that you're loved. It changes how you relate to every other person in your life. Because we have this thing, when, when we don't know that we're loved, we search for it everywhere. We're trying to find it. We, but if you wake up going, I'm loved, I'm significant, I matter. Not because I did anything, I just woke up. 
And he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Changes how your marriage works. Did you know that? When you wake up and you know you're loved, you don't need anything from them. You don't. You don't need their day to make your day matter. If they're having a bad day, it's okay. You don't, it doesn't, it, you don't need those things of feeling like, oh, they, it, they complete me. If they're not making my life matter, it doesn't matter. Because when you don't need it, you can just simply share love with them, full of love, sharing it with one another. He loves you. For daters, if you're single and you're looking to get married, <laughs> this is probably the best lesson you could ever learn. If you can find out beforehand how much God loves you, that will probably save you from marrying a doofus. Because if you know, it's crazy how many these young girls, young guys, marry just, I know God, you made them, but they're idiots sometimes, you know? They, they're, and you're in love with these feelings, and so you like gloss over everything else because, oh, I'm in love. And it just makes you miserable. Why? Because you're like, oh, but I feel loved. If you got it from him, if you could realize that you're loved, it'll change everything. And he's like, wow, I know it kind of says it, but I'm not sure if Jesus loves me. Let me just say this. If someone's willing to die for you, you never have to question what they feel about you. If someone was willing to die for you, you never have to question what they feel about you. He says, listen, you're loved. This morning, that's probably the most important thing to realize is that you are loved. Whether you know it or not, know it today. You are loved. And Jesus said this to his followers. He said to his disciples, remain in my love. Stay in it. That idea of remain is like live there. Wake up every day and just live like you're loved because you are. And we need to be reminded of this because love grows cold in any relationship. Friendship, it can grow cold. You know, marriage, parent to child, child to parent. You know, church, you come to church sometimes like, oh, this place is amazing. I love it. It's, I feel so good here. And then, you know, down the road, it kind of can grow cold. It can happen with God. And so John, the same John who wrote this story we're talking about, a number of years later wrote to the churches um, and the early churches, about 40 years later, he wrote to the church in Ephesus that what he felt God was putting on his life. He says, guys, you've been here for 40 years and you're doing good stuff, but your love's cold. He says in the book of Revelation, your love is cold. It's not hot anymore. And he says, listen, I want you to measure the temperature of your love and realize that thing of love, it's growing cold. And we, we even know, and they talk about love, and the, um, they do studies on this idea of love to try and figure it out. And they've kind of come up with some of these stages of what love is. Stage one's infatuation. It's like that time you first see that girl, and you're like, whoa, who is she? And then your eyes meet, and you're like, oh, so she's saying I have a chance, right? Like You're, you're like, wow. This is all, I got to talk to her. And you're like, oh, but I'm shy, but I got to. Oh, no, that other guy's going to I'm going to go talk to her first. And, and it's like this thing of this infatuation and this attraction, and it's, it's mutual. And you're like, wow, this is cool. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, this euphoric thing. And, and then uh, there's even a physical stage that happens where stuff actually starts happening physically to you. you the hormone levels start going crazy. Cortisol, oxytocin, testosterone start like rushing through your veins. And it's physically something happens. You're like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. And then they say that after a while, there's this other stage called cold love. They call it cold love. It's when the honeymoon ends and there's no feelings anymore. Before it was like, I just want to be close to you. Now it's like, I want my space. You know, oh, let's do everything together. I just need my own time. Yes, let's spend the rest of our lives together. Your stuff is our stuff, and my stuff is my stuff. My stuff, my stuff, my stuff. I want my closet, my half of the driveway, my, my, my. And it ends up being this thing of cold love, and it can happen with everything. It can happen with stuff, you know, that, that, that car. You're like, oh, that's the car. Like, so infatuated. Oh, I feel good driving it. And then it's like, oh, it's just another old rusty car, right? It, it happened with church. You're like, oh, it's amazing. And then afterwards, it's like, meh, they don't, they don't, 
they don't really meet my needs anymore. You know, I got to work here now, and I got to serve, and uh, my kids don't, you know, I don't know. They don't sing my favorite songs anymore. Actually, they don't sing any of my favorite songs. I think we're done here. And we get to that place. Why? Cold love. What changed? Something happens, and Jesus said to his disciples then, he says, it's now remain in my love. Stay in that. You stay in that. It's, it's this thought, well, how do I do that? He says, I'm glad you asked. He goes to verse 10. He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. And they're like, remain, obey his commandments? We tried that. Which ones? Like the Ten Commandments? We can't do that. So you're saying, if I don't obey your commandments, I'm not staying in your love? Like, ah, oh, this is difficult. And then he goes to verse 12. He says, this is my commandment. Before you ask any questions, he says, this is the commandment I'm telling you. You want to remain in my love, and I'm telling you, too, this is how to do it. Just love each other. Keep loving each other the same way that I loved you. So he says a few thoughts. One, you're loved. Two, stay in that love. And the third one is this, love each other. But he says something interesting. He's like, this is my command. This is my command for our relationships is that we would love one another. Do you realize you can't command people to do anything that are not under your authority? I can't tell your kids what to do. Wish I could sometimes. But I can only tell my kids what to do because they're kind of under, you know, my authority and under, under the spot where, where I have responsibility for them. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is where it becomes um, clear. It splits the room sometimes. It's for you who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, this matters. For those who are like, I'm not sure about church. I'm not sure about any of this stuff. It doesn't really apply in the sense to say you've got to love others because, you know what, you, just, you live for, for you as the, as the one in control of your life. That's, that's a thought, but Jesus says, if you're saying that I'm, in, that I'm in control of your life, that you're my follower, then this is my command. This is not an option. I'm telling you to love one another. You can't command feelings. He's not saying, hey, listen, I want you guys to feel like loving one another because there's going to be times that you don't. He's not saying to this group here this morning, I want you to feel like loving your husband all the time or feel like loving, you know, the children's worker all the time or feel like loving. He says, it's not, it's not what it is. He says, I just want you to choose to love even when you don't feel like loving. And Paul explained it to the church in Corinth a while later. And you've probably heard this. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this. These verses about love. And you know what? Paul wrote to a, to a church that lived in a time very similar to ours, but they celebrated and worshipped this idea of love. They had a temple to the, to the goddess Aphrodite, and she was the goddess of love, and they would worship there, and they'd have sex in, in church. That was their way of worship and celebration. Like, what? They do that? Not anymore. Um, so they, they, uh, this was their thing, but it was all, like when Paul's writing to them, he's like, wait a second, how do I tell them what Jesus told us? This idea of love, one another, they're going to get this all screwed up because they have no idea what love really is. So he says, I'm going to kind of define it for them and change their thoughts of what I'm asking and what Jesus is asking them to do. He's saying, this is what I'm saying. When I tell you and command you to love one another, he says this, love in your relationships and we look at it as weddings. In 1 Corinthians, we're like, yeah, that's a wedding thing. He wasn't writing it to married people. He wasn't writing it to, um, for a wedding. He was just writing it right in the middle of this whole idea of talking about relationships. And just listen to this last thought. He said this, love, is, love in your relationships looks like this. It's patient. I don't care what it feels like. This is what it looks like. It's patient. When the going gets tough, keep loving. And it's not this idea of feeling patient, but being patient. And love is kind. It shows kindness and it speaks kindly, whether it feels like that or not. And it's not in just marriages. Yesterday, uh, 
Yesterday, I, I was helping someone move, and so I had called my father-in-law and asked if I could borrow the truck. And so when I showed up to pick up the truck, it wasn't there. My mother-in-law had taken it. And it was this, un, um, this, this mix-up in communication, and so the truck was gone. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm already super busy. i got to do church tonight. Where's this truck? And Beth is sitting there, and, and uh, I texted her, and she's like, I'll be back in 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, man, I know what that means, right? Like five minutes with women means 20 minutes. So now 5, 10, 15, 30, oh man, this is going to be like at least an hour. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. How am I going to do this? How am I going to make this work? And, and all of a sudden this verse comes to me that I've been reading all week. Love is patient. I'm like, in your relationships, be patient. I'm like, I don't feel patient right now. And it didn't matter because it's how the Holy Spirit gets you. He's like, you know what? This is what I mean. <laughs> Who cares about how good you and Beth are? You and your mother-in-law, how are you guys? In your relationship, be patient. I'm like, oh, okay. But when she gets here, boy, do I have some words I want to say. And then it was like, in your relationships, be kind. I was like, oh, darn, right? Like, why am I preaching on this this weekend? I need need the truck. And as I thought, it just, you know how, it's crazy how it just changes things. It levels out the emotion. It takes it right down because it's this idea of, you know what? Who cares? And as I got through and I start realizing, it's not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not thinking about me, me, me. It's not saying what I've got to do today is more important than what she has to do today. It's realizing, no, you know what? Love considers other people. So in my relationships, this whole idea of whether I'm following Jesus and loving Jesus means that I'm going to treat others with love. It wasn't pretty, but it's this way of working it out in our actual situations. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not this idea of, you know, when, when love, it's like, I'm, it's about thinking about what others want. This idea of love is not about feelings, but it's this idea of not being irritable. Not allowing stuff that gets you under your skin. Just realizing, wait a second, yeah, that gets under my skin. I'm going to choose to respond differently. Keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> Following Jesus kind of love doesn't allow you to hold grudges forever. It doesn't really allow you to hold them at all. It's like, keeps no record of wrongs. Why? Not because they didn't happen. It's just I'm choosing not to bring them back into this relationship. Doesn't rejoice about injustice. You know, in that person at work that, that you know, they, they, all of a sudden something bad happens to them. You're like, <laughs> yeah, uh, serves them right. Yeah, love doesn't do that. You know, love rejoices in truth. And it uses different word when it says it rejoices. You know, it rejoices in truth with others. It rejoices with them. When they win, it's like this idea of like I'm choosing to be happy. For Leaf fans, that means, you know, when Chicago wins, we're happy for them. And when Montreal wins, we're happy for them. And when every other team wins, we celebrate for them. And in your families, what does it look like in your marriage, in your family, in your kids, in your work relationships? And you're like, well, you know, I think this is all about other believers. He said, you know what? It's believers. It's enemies. It's everyone. Love them. How you love them will determine and will show the world that you're a follower of me. Love holds on to hope in every situation. Love endures all things bravely and calmly. And it says love never fails. We just sang about that. Your love never fails. It's not the feeling. It's none of that stuff. It's this idea of this this different type of life. So in closing today, I want to challenge you to choose love. For your future relationships, they depend on how you love how you think about love, how you choose to love. I want you to ask, you these, ask this yourself these questions. Am I living like I'm loved? We said it this morning, you're loved. But are you living like you're loved or are you still searching? 
for that emptiness to be filled by something? Are you choosing to love when you don't feel like loving? Or do you feel like, nah, it depends on whether they deserve it or not? Do I base my love on whether people deserve it or not, the way that I treat them? C.S. Lewis said this, do not waste your time. Last thought, just take this one in. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking them more. If you do him a good turn, you'll find yourself disliking him less. What's that look like in your family? What's that look like in your marriage? What's that look like in your friendships? It's this challenge and it's this call. What's incredible is that Jesus said to them to love their enemies. This was the greatest weapon that took down the greatest known empire, the Roman Empire, simply because they lived out what Jesus said. Lived out love. I want to encourage you to do the same, to think about those things. Maybe it's point one, two, or three that grabs you. Dig in because there's a ton in there. And he'll make it work and he'll make it happen. And as you listen to his voice, it's like yesterday. Happens for us all. He's going to make it happen. He's going to challenge you in those thoughts. He'll change the rest of your relationships has the opportunity to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Above all, thank you for (laughs) being love and the love that you have for us and the love that you've shown us, that you've given us the opportunity to experience it and to take it to our world. And I just pray for those opportunities to happen this week, that as people see and these things come back to their minds, they realize that they're hearing your voice. Father, I pray that the world would see what true followers of you look like, that we love them as you've loved them, and they find hope in you. see us, to see you in us. Thank you for that. I pray uh, just over the rest of this day, then what we do, we glorify you. And uh, thank you for the gift that it is. And we pray that uh, we use it to the best of our abilities for you. Thank you for that, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.